You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. And it is Tech Fan Podcast number 386. I'm Tim Robertson. I'm Debbie Cohen. So uh, I'll be honest, David, I have not listened to your solo show last week. I'm so offended. I know you should There's be. I usually do, but... It's probably best that nobody listens to it. I, I'm <clears throat> I'm on the third book on a three-book series. All right, okay. Um, so you've... You've, you've spurned me for somebody else. Yes. It's actually a pretty <laughs> so good to, series. I, I'm, yeah? I'm a, it's called The Reckoners. Um, you know, I like... I like you would think. Um, it's about kind of superheroes, but not really. Super-powered beings. They come into being, and the story picks up basically 20 years later or so. And the world is a totally different place. Um, most nations capitulated and then fall and there's a bunch of little fiefdoms and the reckoners are humans who go around killing what they call epics and epics are the people who have power when these people have these powers there's minor epics and there's massive epics um, it kind of drives them insane they become very selfish and self-centered and almost uh, almost the What's the word I'm looking for? Cliche comic book villain. Um, but, you know, they just murder people. Um, so there's a there's a, a comic comic book called The Boys that kind of, well, it's not set in a post-apocalyptic. Yeah, I read it's it. A very, yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, they, they're kind of, is it an Amazon? I think Amazon's coming out Am- with Amazon are doing a TV show on yeah. it, yeah. But the comic, the original comic book was, was brilliant. Really, really good for its time, yeah. It, it, I think it went about a year longer than it needed to go, honestly. Yeah. Um, but I love the I love the boys. That was great. Yeah, but the so concept they, is very similar, where they yeah, they have a new member that joins in, and, and they're they're there to police the superheroes, and actually right. the superheroes are all dicks, mm-hmm. and they you know they hate the superheroes and they want to bring them down. Yeah. But it, you start the series with this one guy who joins them. Yeah. Who's new to it? Um, but although he didn't really want to join. Um, whereas this is very similar concept. A guy joins and, but he wanted to join. He wanted to be a reckoner and it's, it's really, um, the narrator who does it does fantastic different voices, uh, which is honestly kind of rare in audiobooks. Usually they're, especially when it comes to the women voices, most male narrators do such a crappy job. They make the women sound whiny or I hate it. I'm like, ugh, can you get someone that's just, it's almost insulting. And I and I listened to one Star Wars book, and they add sound effects. Oh, I hate that so much. I'm like, don't. Please stop doing that. Ugh. Like, they're on a Star Destroyer, and you can hear the Star Destroyer sounds. I'm like, I, you, don't, yeah. I, you don't need to do that. It's a book. Yeah. Paint the picture with the words. Um, or the sound effects don't match what they're describing. Like, he's like, and another blaster shot misses, and you hear, pew, 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 and you're like, well... There's a whole bunch of blaster shots. What are you talking about? He takes one shot, and you hear the... Choo, 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 choo. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> stop it. I can't stand that. Um, it was, I always re- Similar things that I always used to be... Um, used to annoy me in the... Uh, particularly in, in the, the next generation was particularly famous for this, is where Picard would tell Worf to shoot something in a particular way or in a particular place, and then Worf would just not do it. <laughs> right. So, so he would say uh, there was there was one, uh, one of the ones of uh, I think one of the early ones where they met the Borg, yeah. And they had you remember the Borg had that tractor beam thing that used to 
chunk, pull chunks out of the ship. Yep. And so <laughs> Picard goes, Mr. Worf, destroy the source of that tractor beam. And Worf fires the phasers and just basically blows a completely different part of the, sh- of the ball cube away. Right. right. And makes it stop. And you just think, no, <laughs> do what you're told. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> That's why it's called an order. Yeah. It's because you're expected to do what you're told. Uh, anyways, I'm enjoying the book. Um, yeah. I've never read, or in this case, listened to a superhero type of. Um, what's this say? Hold on. Um, sorry. I've never read a superhero type of book like this. I like comic books, but this is different, yeah. and I'm really enjoying it. It's it's more science fiction than anything, I think. Um, yeah. But it's good. It's really good. I, I, if I remember, I'll send you a link sometime. I'm sure it's far better than my show from last week. Well, I, I could, shout out to John John Nemo because John Nemo did actually say he enjoyed it. Yeah, so he did. I was going to yeah. mention that as well. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm uh, currently watching about 20 minutes into episode seven, season three of the Grand Tour. We were discussing this a little bit before we started recording. We're both obviously. Uh, huge fans of the original Top Gear. I don't like the new one that much. They've had some good stuff, but on a whole, eh. So uh, they've just started showing the new season of Top Gear here, and um, this is the last season that we'll have Matt LeBlanc in as the as the lead. Uh, they've already announced he's leaving. He's already. They've already announced that this is going to be his last one, um, and uh, it's. He's actually not been too bad on some of them. He, when he yeah, doesn't the, play the character of Joey, which he yeah. falls into too often, when he doesn't do that and his actual passion for cars come out, it's much better. But the problem is, is they're desperately trying to recreate like the trio formula where they all get along and they're all ragging on each other, and it just doesn't come across as true. No. You just don't buy it. Um, and so, yeah, they're going to replace... Um, they were going to replace Matt Blobonk with uh, an English critica, cricketer called uh, Andrew Flintoff uh, and a British comedian actor called Paddy McGuinness, who apparently are both big car fans. Uh, and then um, the Rory Reid, who's like the uh, the youngest guy who's in the, th- of the three of them, he's going back to doing like a like a sideshow, like an extra show, rather than being a main presenter. What so they, that's the plan for next season. What, this season is still the same format, and it's kind of the same. It's still very uneven, uneven and rough. They, what they should have done is, other than the comedian guy, got the guys from the American Top Gear that lasted for three years. Mm-hmm. The first season wasn't good. They, there was no chemistry. The second season was so much better. The one that I like, his name was Ruth, Rutledge. Um, and he was the true car guy. One of the guys that kind of was the Jeremy role, but not really. Um, it was an actual race car driver, drifter, and all that. But yeah. but the but Rutledge was fantastic. That's who they should get for the English. That guy, just that guy, actually. Yeah. Um, but you know, it'd be great for Top Gear. You, me, and and uh, Guy Searle. <laughs> yeah. I mean. And you can already see who's in whose roles. That's right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he is definitely yeah. a Richard. That that would be Guy. <laughs> yeah. And you would be the one to explain be, things. Yeah, I'd be James May. Yep. Yep. No question. You're you that yeah. would be your role. You'd be James May. Yeah. But then again that that puts me in uh Jeremy's role. 
Yeah, and your point? <laughs> I, I kind of am a Jeremy Clarkson ter- type character, aren't I? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Anyways, uh, I, I, it, we were discussing that. I, we, I think we both agree. They have too much freedom on the Amazon, and it makes it grand tour. It makes it with the huge budgets, no restrictions. I, I think it's had the opposite effect on their creativity. Yeah, I, I, we were talking about how you know working for the BBC and and those restrictions. Having, yeah, having to toe the line, not just in terms of budget, but also in terms of what they were allowed to do. Um, it was more exciting watching them skirt that edge than, yes. than being in a situation where they can do what they want. Yep. This this season in particular, you know, they they're doing some fairly preposterous things. Yep. Uh, and the prob the problem, the, the kind of the the trick with the roadshow stuff they do is that some of the stuff they do, you think, well, did they just kind of get away? Did they really do that, or is it just a production trick? Exactly. Now the it's obvious how many things are production tricks. Yes. Because they're so over the top, they have so so few limitations. So, for instance, uh, I'm, I'm thinking the one the, they did this season where they're in China. So they were in China and they went to the, the uh, Chong, Chongqing, which is a huge city of 30 million people in China that nobody outside China has ever heard of. Right. Yeah? And this place is huge metropolis, but because it's China, uh, no, you know, we haven't heard of it. And it's apparently is the capital of, of China's auto industry. And they took um, very old uh, luxury uh, cars. Clarkson had a Mercedes S-Class. Uh, sorry, Clarkson had a BMW 7 Series. Um, James May had a Mercedes S-Class. Um, Richard Hammond had a Cadillac. Had a Cadillac STS, right? And they kind of, you know, did their usual thing where they do pseudo-tests to try and imply whether these cars are better than worse than what's available and that sort of thing. But the stuff they did was so extreme. At one point, May turned his car, put a sauna into his car. And it was being driven by somebody else. Yeah. Uh, and the, and because he put a sword in there, the guy, he steamed up the windows. The guy couldn't see what he was doing and all this sort of thing. And it was meant to be hilariously funny. But the thing is, is that you know it full wasn't. well when you see that, there's no way that he went into a garage and actually fitted a sword to the car. Right. You know, it's all fake. And the the funny, the when they do the funny stuff, it's it, if you don't buy into the idea that they it, just kind of well, had a crazy scripted. idea and knocked it up overnight, then it's, it's not funny. Well, it's it's scripted funny now, where yeah. before it wasn't scripted funny. Stupid yeah. things would actually happen, like filling your car up, and he starts driving away, and the friggin' door falls off. Yeah. And they start laughing. That's funny, because... Yeah. Or when, when Jeremy's in the one super tall camper... And he thinks it's yeah. a great idea until a semi passes him at speed and the whole thing starts wobbling and he goes, ah, that's <laughs> hilarious because yeah. it's a genuine funny moment because he is really scared and yeah. you could see it. You know, those things, that's when it's great. When they do this, I want to say canned comedy, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't. Yeah. Like in that same episode, near the end, they have to go up a a really steep hill and um, Hammond's car has broken down the STS so he turns up in like a Chinese three-wheeler yeah, right. which ends up going over the cliff edge and rolling down the hill right yeah he's not in right? there and, and obviously the joke is because he's had a couple of very serious car crashes while he's been doing the show but the thing is it, yeah it, it's so obvious it's not funny well and they've already done stuff like that when yeah. um, 
Jeremy is in that three-wheeler and it keeps rolling over. Yeah. Now, some of that was staged because, I mean, the guy from Human League happens to be walking his dog right there. Okay. But it was still hilarious. Yeah. So, I think we're kind of on the same page. Do you think the three will ever return to Top Gear? No. I think they Uh, will. I I, I don't know. I don't think so. I think what will happen is the Grand Tour will continue on in that they're talking about changing the format so it's only the road trips now and which is what people any, want yeah they're not going to have any studio stuff well it's what people want as long as they improve them um the i i think what will happen is they will continue to work with amazon individually on other projects yeah um and then over time you know, let's face it these guys are getting on a bit now over time they'll probably slow down and retire a little bit um but i i think i think kind of you, you're gonna now the format is really changing. You're gonna see it slow down, uh, and eventually it will fade away. And in the meantime, the British one is still floundering along, trying to recapture, recapture, the magic. recapture what it had. Yeah. Um, and um, it's I don't know what the what the figures are like for the current series, but oh, it's got to you know, be it, it's, it's okay, but it's not a must see. Right, and um, it used I to mean, be must see. Yeah, we. I, I mean, even at the moment, my son and I we watch the Grand Tour every week, and we look forward to it coming out. Uh, and we've. It's, it's been painful what the big delay between these last two series between the last series and this one yeah um, and yet the grand uh, Top Gear's been on on British TV for a couple of weeks and we only started watching it a few days ago so. yeah that kind of says it all doesn't it yeah I still think you me and Guy would be brilliant on there well let's face it the Grand Tour goes away it's an opportunity for us to um, pitch our own show to Amazon maybe do a, a couple of episodes on YouTube to start and then give it to them as a package deal yeah there you go yeah Shows up first on uh, Amazon, and then the BBC gets it, or vice versa. Well, I, I think something like that has probably got enough uh, enough legs to be shown everywhere at once. Really, why stop at, at Britain and, and the US? I think probably Russia. Well, that's that's the original Russia's one. probably panting for a really great car show. Oh, right I think now. so. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, <laughs> um, what's going on in the tech world? Anything? I mean, Samsung had their big event show their. $2,000 foldable phone that looks like ass. Uh, not ready for prime time is what came to my mind. Ugh. Any time somebody comes out with a new product that costs a huge amount of money, that immediately says, don't be the sucker who buys the first one. Wait until it's developed and commoditized. I, and I kind of understand the concept and the public appeal of a foldable smartphone like this where you open it up and it's it's a tablet for all intents and purposes. But when it's closed, it's just like a regular iPhone or Samsung Galaxy or something. But what's the practical reason to have it? That's yeah. the thing I haven't come up with. What? Why do I need that in my life? Well, the, the thing is, is that technology has been invented. Now people are trying to figure out how to use it. <coughs> so, yeah, it's it's... It is hard to kind of see what the point of it is, apart from the fact that you can do it and show you can do it. It, it, it just looks terrible right now. It's just... And $2,000? Are you kidding me? Who's who, who's that for? Well, I guess it's for people like us, but we're too well, it's for, sensible. It's for people who have a lot of money and want to show off the fact that they have, for, by definition, the latest phone. Yeah. Um, but it's um, it, it doesn't seem to be very practical to me. No. At all. You know. And, and, and the other problem is that it looks the actual screen looks horrible. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a case of where well, you can have a bigger foldable screen that's very, very expensive, 
or you can spend half that money and you have a screen that looks like it's it's painted on glass but it moves exactly it's pretty much any top end smartphone exactly yeah well but maybe we're wrong david i'd like to hear from those listening is this forget that it's samsung pretend it's an apple phone with the same limitations on screen resolution and all that would are you interested in a foldable phone i'd really like to know um yeah. i personally wouldn't mind a foldable phone if it's about the same size as my iphone 8 plus and i can fold it in half to put it in my pocket that i can get i kind of because it's that's almost a flip phone at that point you know, you protect your screen that way. Cool. Now, would would you protect your screen? That's the thing because the problem is, is that you're then making it long and thin, which means if you sit on it, it's going to bend more easily. Well, it's not like Apple has any kind of history of bending the. Oh wait, never mind. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Moving on. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, I remember I remember very clearly that when the first giant phones started coming out, I poo pooed them as like, who would ever want a phone with more than four and a half or five inches of screen? Um, and I thought they looked hilarious, and yet here I have I have one, and to me it looks perfectly fine now. So we do adapt to the way these things look. Eventually, yeah, yeah. Um, you put a article from Ars Technica in the notes: users alarmed by undisclosed microphone in Nest security system. This is yes. To, to me, this, the story here is not so much the actual uh, the fact that. So basically, the the idea is is that um, what's happened is that people have been buying this security system from Nest, who um, remember was set up by Tony Fidel after he left Apple and yeah. then acquired by Google. Um, so they've been buying this system, and it has uh, a, a number of components. It, it basically has a base station and then cameras and doohickeys and that sort of thing um, and the problem is is that it turns out that the base station has a microphone in it that's never been disclosed in the specs uh, and it's only become people have become aware of this this week because Google pushed out an update basically saying that um, oh yes you can now now it's a Google Assistant as well yeah and what do you think went, well look do I th- do I honestly think that Google have been surreptitiously monitoring these microphones for people's conversations. Absolutely not. But the point is, I think it demonstrates the complete lack of awareness that people who work at Google have about their how people perceive them. Yeah, they are a voracious, privacy-sucking ad company, and and yet they think, well, it's okay to hide a microphone into a product and then and then turn it on later on, and everyone will be completely cool with that. Where everyone kind of is going, what the hell? You know, this is the kind of story that you read and you think with everybody having a lot of privacy concerns lately. Really? But by the same token, I've got a home security system. I know for a fact it has a microphone in it because I can talk to whoever on the box itself. I, I don't think I ever have. They call my home phone. But I do know that it's in there. I I don't have any really concerns that anyone's eavesdropping. They knock yourself out. We're not, you know, we're not doing anything. It's not really the point, but still. And besides, who's listening anyways? Well, that but that isn't the point. The problem is that people who have privacy concerns, 
don't like the fact that somebody can put a microphone in a device, sell it to you, and then only disclose to you later that it has a microphone in it. Yeah. Because it doesn't allow you to make the choice about whether you want that product in your house or not. Yeah, that's the issue. And then the second issue is, this is Google, and you would think, as you, you just kind of implied, these Silicon Valley companies would be hyper-aware of anything to do with privacy. But they're, and, they never uh, have been, though. That's... But they, the, I think the problem is they live in this kind of engineering bubble. Well, they want to make actually, Star Trek. I, I, yeah, but I think the problem is they don't think about these things. They just because they live in a bubble where you know they they kind of go, well, we we know we're not um, stealing people's privacy, so it's fine. And they they don't seem to understand the optics. Now, at the engineering level, I kind of understand that. But what what kind of irritates me is at the senior level, at the top of these companies, these people should be hyper aware of this yep. and should be constantly saying, look. Every product you make, think about the privacy implications and let's make sure we disclose them up front. This is the problem. It's about disclosure. It's not about – nobody cares whether they put the microphone in there or not. If they'd have put the microphone in there and said, by the way, this has a microphone and at some point it will become a Google Assistant. Yeah, exactly. That would have been fine. But they didn't do that. And then they go – and it's the usual kind of lame excuse. Instead of coming out and saying, you know what? We really made a mistake here. They go, oh, we just forgot to mention it on the specs. Oh, it wasn't supposed to be a secret. Yeah. That was an error. It's, don't worry, it's never been on. Yeah, but the, the, the problem with that is that you can't prove a negative. They can't prove it's never been used. Yeah, so everybody who wants to think bad of Google will assume it might have been used. And then all the people who probably want to give Google the benefit of the doubt will still go, oh, come on, Google, you know how you're perceived. It's, it's exactly the same rubbish that Facebook pulls all the time. It's, the, you know, it's, it's just fundamentally wrong and and i i'm i just I, it's disappointing because what the, the difficulty we're going to have with all of these things is that ultimately the entire industry is going to end up tarnished by this brush yeah and that's what really what bothers me is that is that you're going to what with everybody going you know what we don't want these things because we can't trust the companies behind them no it, it's kind of going that way now and the, and the entire tech industry is going to suffer as a result yeah, well, you know, Facebook is, and Zuckerberg in particular, is known as believing in the philosophy is we're going to break things and worry about fixing them later because they want to innovate. All, all he's really talking about is we're going to screw people over and we'll, we're not worried about it. Yeah, we're going to do everything we can get away with and then we'll fix the things that people find out about afterwards. Yep. What are you going to do, though? Well, how many users does Facebook have now? Too many. Millions and billions can't be wrong. Well, that's kind of the point, though. I mean, is it really a concern when people keep using it? It's not like oh. there's a viable alternative out there, but people like to be connected to their friends and family, and they like to take pictures, and they like to share stuff, and they like to get caught up in what other people are doing, and they want to be in their own little... <clears throat> You know, I believe in these politics, so I'm friends with a bunch of people, and we're talking to the echo chamber, and, you know, same thing with, you know, the people who are really religious get on there, and that's what they follow, and that's all they talk about. So, you know, it, it's a self-perpetuating machine. It just keeps going and going. The problem, the problem is, if you don't read the writing on the wall and recognize that you have to change your ways because 
kind of public opinion is starting to move against you, then what happens is, and we, we hear this all the time, we hear industries, I mean, this is a big thing in US politics in particular, where industries go, we don't want to be regulated, we want to regulate ourselves. Yeah, but you, they yeah? can't be trusted to do so. And they that's keep proving the, that over and over That's the and over. problem. The problem is, is what happens is they don't, <clears throat> they don't <throat> regulate themselves. And eventually the government says, right, well, okay, if you're not going to regulate yourselves, our voters want us to regulate you. So we're going to regulate you. And then they do it in a ham-fisted, heavy-handed way that kind of spoils the thing that they're regulating right. very often. And so it's, it's in these companies' own interest to get this right from the beginning rather than have it imposed on them from the outside. And despite the fact that for several years now that message has been played back over and over and over again, these companies don't get it. And they're going, you know what, um, this is, yeah, we're doing our best. This is what you get all the time from them. We're doing our best. It's very difficult. We're, we're really trying here. Yeah. You know, and they're just not. No, they're not. And their actions speak louder than their words do. Yeah. What's the thing with the Nike uh, app and shoes? <laughs> so so we, we talked, remember we talked in somewhat um, interested terms about the uh, self self-lacing sneakers a yeah. couple of weeks ago. So it turns out that there's been a firmware problem, and uh, some of them have been bricked. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, unfortunate they, term for shoes. Uh, well, you know, it's 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 a difficult thing. So the, the 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 details of this story is that apparently the Android app for these phones is for these shoes is terrible, um, and has been. Uh, you need the app to basically make the shoes work because you control how the shoes lace up, how they light up. Um, see the battery life, all of that sort of stuff, and the iOS app is fine. Apparently, the Android app is a is a dumpster fire. Um, and what's happened is that some of the these apps have bricked the the Android users have found that the app has effectively bricked the shoes and stopped them from working. So it won't you can't it won't lace up. It won't lace up. You can't do anything in that. Worse, <laughs> worse is that some sometimes the app breaks one of the shoes, but not the other one. <laughs> Uh, my left shoe and, and and of course now, now the, the thing is is then when you get into the talking about the interface of technology and computer terms and shoes it actually becomes quite hilarious and Brendan actually Brendan Roland our uh, frequent contributor actually also sent us this story along with uh, with his perspective on it he says it's only February but I think we already have the tech comment of the year my left shoe won't even reboot <laughs> <laughs> And then he goes, the internet of smart devices brings a $350 connected shoes with lights. That's a brick by a software update. Truly, we are living in wondrous times. And then he said, this story is a gift for internet punsters. And, and I, have to, I have to say, Brendan, well done for you. I think you can't oh, yeah. the basis here, yeah? Yeah. The shoe won't boot. Get My it, firmware, boot. The, the firmware is laced with errors. There's a sole point of failure. Was the engineering team caught flat-footed? <laughs> Did they try to shoehorn into the features? <laughs> Can't they cobble together a fix? <laughs> Who's going to get the boot for this failure, and will they be handed their walking papers? Uh, and then I added one of my own. Um, my own minor contribution is it just goes to show that even SneakerNet is not foolproof. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, uh, Brendan says the customer support hotline says just try taking them off. And, them on again. <laughs> <laughs> and then his, his his serious point is: for over twenty years, most cycling shoes have used Velcro as a lacing system. So it's a couple of seconds to readjust tightness if feet swell in heat, and can be done while still riding. 
Batteries and internet connection are not the answer to every problem. Yeah, I agree with them. Yeah, but I do I, want I, I do want innovation. I do want companies to try to come up with some new things, not to the extreme that they hide microphones. Like, but well, that, that's the other thing. Apparently, Nike's hit the microphone in his Yeah, there. <laughs> Can you hear that clunk, 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 clunk? Oh boy! No, it's, no. Look, you, you're absolutely right. Innovation sometimes leads to failure, um, and I, and I think. This this kind of stuff is actually quite important because there's no doubt that whatever happens in the future, however, you know, Brendan, who who has a particular kind of um, resistive approach to some of these innovations, yes. feels about it. The, the reality is is that smart fabric, smart clothing is on the way. Yep, um, it will happen because people can and they will and they will find the best uses cases for this stuff. Yeah, good stuff will come out of stuff like this. Exactly. It really and, I, will. and I think I think it's important to for, uh, for companies to learn that basically taking effectively the smartphone tech and shoehorning it, excuse the pun, into the shoe, yeah, is it is not exactly the right way to do it for exactly this sort of reason. What happens when the thing fails? Right. Yeah, for something you're wearing that you're completely reliant on the electronics to make it function. Yeah, you need to make sure it's rock solid, it works, and it fails safe. Yes, yeah? that I if mean, it does fail, you could push a button on the, I don't know, the tongue of the shoe, and it just it reboots and, the and whole thing. It reboots it. It sets itself back to the work to factory or whatever. Yeah. And for you know, to, to take the the jokes out, you, of you need to make a what, foolproof. Yeah, what happens if you're running if you're running with these shoes, right? And your phone decides to update one while you're running, uh, and effectively the shoe. The shoe it fails, and then the shoe unlaces itself while you're running or walking in it. Or you can't so take it off when you get back. Exactly. So it, it's important to, to take a different approach rather than the oh well we can always just send a reboot, send a, a, a firmware over the internet approach, which is the way. And we, we've lamented many times about how software code nowadays is too buggy and is reliant on too many updates and is never finished properly and never tested properly. This just, just goes to show how important that is in this sort of environment. So hopefully uh, Nike and other companies will learn from this yeah. and things will be better in the future. You know, there are really practical applications for this type of technology. Uh, firemen could be, um, you know, in extreme situations and the technology built into their coat or hat detects that hey this person's way too hot and it kicks in some kind of a cooling feature or um, someone goes down and the vest they're wearing is alerting everybody else uh, in the fire brigade or the police department that hey this person was just shot uh, or his heartbeat's gone way up because you know something's happened Um, there are practical a a soldier was just shot you know Uh, there are really practical acts, uh, applications for this technology and, and smart technology to save lives, but, you know, it's got to start somewhere. So I, I still give Nike credit yeah. for pushing the envelope forward here a little bit. Yeah, just get some better this, this, Yeah, you know, they're going to run into roadblocks, but, you know, don't give up just because of bad PR um, you know, yep. you, you just have to reboot the shoe. Uh, you just have to keep walking forward. Yeah. Remember, One Nike. Front the front, oh, I was going there. 
I was set. I was going to set it up better than that, but Mm-mm. I'm sorry. Your shoe. Are, what what kind of socks are you wearing? Oh, the, you can't wear those kind of socks. <laughs> That's a conflict. Your socks are not compatible. Yeah, your socks are not compatible with your shoes. Ah. <laughs> uh, Mm-hmm. You good? So, you got Nike shoes that use a geographical location, and they start making a high pitch whine when you go into the Adidas store. <laughs> <laughs> no, then the camera turns on, and they start seeing what Adidas are up to. You know? Yeah, that's funny. Um, Projected Bluetooth ads for uh, Nike shoes to all the uh, people in the Adidas store. So I belong to a couple different groups on Facebook uh, dealing with vintage stuff. So one of them is like old made new where they take old things and they kind of repurpose them. I kind of like that stuff. Uh, A couple different hacker groups where they take something and they turn it into something else. I kind of like that stuff. But I belong to one or two different vintage computer groups. One of them is kind of computers in general. Another one of them is dedicated to older Macs, although I'm kind of losing interest in that, to be honest. Uh, and I was thinking about dropping out of that group, but uh, a, a post came up today. I don't remember what Mackie's got. It wasn't too old. It's within six years or so. Right. And his battery died. And it's one of the replaceable batteries, too. Yeah. And so he got a replacement battery. And now all of a sudden he's having all these problems with the machine. And uh, first and foremost is... It's not reporting that it has the capacity that it was advertised at and that it takes forever, even on a fast charger, to charge up. And he's trying to figure out, well, maybe he got ripped off. Yes. And yeah, well, yeah, in, in, in essence. And he posts how much it was. And I, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, um, hmm, that seems kind of a... It wasn't too expensive, but it was expensive enough where I thought, "What? why did you spend that when you could have just got over here much cheaper? I think it was like a, it's like a 13-inch MacBook Pro, like a 2010. Like I'm pretty sure that's exactly what it was. And he spent like $57, $58 on eBay. So... Yeah, I, I'm having done a bit of this myself and also moved in groups where people do this. And in fact, I I just recently bought myself a, a 2012 13-inch MacBook Pro, which I'm going to use my main machine now because I don't need much more power than that. Um, and, and you kind of go you go through this dance. And I've bought plenty of batteries for use Macs over the years because I'm always turning them over. Um, I think there is a, a perception that if you go to the very cheapest, you're going to get piece of Chinese junk that may or may not work or perhaps might be fake and I think some people can convince themselves oh you spend a little bit more and then you're getting you know good quality stuff but it's really not about how much you spend it's where you buy it from yeah and (laughs) and you know I I was looking at our sponsor OWC's website after reading these comments and I just posted a link no comments or anything I just posted this link it's a newer tech new power battery for his exact machine, 13-inch MacBook Pro, 2009 to current models, 65-watt battery, ninety-seven ninety-nine. And I'm like, 
it's not quite twice as much, but think about how much time you would save by getting a quality product where if there is a problem with the battery, it's OWC. They're going to, they're going to take care of it, and well, it's and it's new, new, newer tech, so you know it's good. Yeah, yeah, the, but the, I mean, the real thing you're paying for there is the fact that you have a problem with it. For a start, yes, they have a great reputation for engineering stuff that that works properly in 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 the Mac, um, and, and they're just not cheap Chinese clones. But the other thing is, yeah, you're paying for the fact that they will stand behind the product. You've got a warranty, uh, and they will also handle returns and that sort of thing with no questions asked. Uh, you know, because, yeah. You know. I, I like saving money as much as the next person. I love it when I get a good deal on something. I never feel like I've ever got a good deal when I buy something cheap that's cheap. I always yep. buy it and thinking, yeah, you know, I probably probably should have spent a little bit more money and got a better one. Yep. Like tools is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. You know, I I need uh, this tool. This. Pair of pliers. Yeah, say, say a tri-wing screwdriver, which you'll need to take that battery in and out of your right. Mac. Yep. Now, a lot of the cheap Chinese ones will come with the screwdriver. Yep. Yeah, you know what? It's good for one use. Yep, and then they're, lucky, they get chewed it's up. Made, and it's made of the softest metal they can find, um, and yeah, they basically it destroys itself when you use it. Yep. And you better hope that there's not a tightly done up screw in there, because it ain't coming out with that screwdriver. Correct. Yep. So... I think the lesson to take here, number one, is thanking our sponsor, OWC. But number two, don't don't cheap out on the stuff that's important. I I think replacing your battery in a laptop or a phone is important. Look, I I would say if you're you're, going to sell the laptop and you just want a new battery in there, then fine. Buy the Chinese one. Make sure it works so you're not ripping anybody off. And you, obviously, in that case, you, you you don't want to make a big investment. But also, make sure you disclose your to your buyer that's that's what you've done, so they know what they're getting into. But if you're going to keep the machine, yeah, buy a quality product. Yeah, I've got a 17-inch 2009 MacBook Pro, and I bought a battery from it on uh, Amazon, and um, it was a cheap one. And you know what? It works fine, but it's a little bit too big. So when the battery is in there, I can't use the trackpad on the laptop because it presses too hard on it. And yep. It won't register clicks. So I I bought another one. Um, this was probably around about Christmas time, and I did this, this. I made the same mistake. I bought a cheap one off eBay. It's about twenty pounds. When it arrived, it wasn't for the seventeen inch. It was for a thirteen. Yeah, it was too small, and so I, uh, I went through eBay. I said, "You've sent me the wrong device here. It says seventeen on your." Uh, on your auction, and you've only sent me a 31, 13 inch. The guy basically said, Oh, I can't afford to take returns. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to involve eBay, um, and eventually they kind of had to blacklist the guy because he, he, he went, th- he, he, he was forced to go through the returns process. He put a fake address. I bought the stuff from, um, the, bought the battery from a UK seller. The returns address he gave me was in California. Yeah. Yeah. Because he just basically didn't want to deal with the return, and so he was hoping that having given me an address, that that would mean it would be fine. And eventually eBay had to intervene and do it. So now I've bought a third battery, um, and I finally got one that works. But you know what? If I'd have just got a decent one from OWC, I could have saved myself a whole lot of time. Yep. So let's jump into our uh, wiki trolling. Sure. Essentially the link. Kind of is tech-related, but really not. But that's okay. I'm looking for the tech angle, and I'm not finding one. Um, this is different. Residential water use in the U.S. and Canada. 
I thought this was kind of interesting. Uh, quite honestly, they, they've got they've got a pie chart here that we'll get to in a second. But uh, let me read the uh, in, uh, the introduction. Water uh, residential water use, also called domestic use, household use, or tap water use, includes all indoor and outdoor uses of drinking quality water at single family or multifamily dwellings. These uses include a number of defined purposes, such as flushing toilets, washing clothes, dishes, showering, blah, 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 blah. And I was kind of surprised. Now, you probably are reading this ahead of where I'm talking, um, but I was surprised at the number one use of water in a household, David. Uh, I, I, I suppose I'm not, but... Um, it's toilet flushing. Yeah, I, I'm... Uh, that doesn't surprise me, but uh, we've had perhaps more than you had in the U.S., certainly in the U.K. in the last few years. Our, our our water industry used to be owned by the government, and then it was privatized uh, during Margaret Thatcher's years. Uh, and the uh, issue of the quantity of use and the amount of leakage in the system has been an ongoing political debate here for a long time. So I've seen a lot more stats about how people use water in the U.K., so that doesn't necessarily surprise me. But um, I guess that's because I'm, I'm from a slightly different background where we've got a different focus on our water usage here. Uh, currently, the average flushing volume for all sample toilets is 2.6 gallons per flush or 9.8 liters per flush. Uh, future reductions in toilet use... What? Future reduction in toilet end use will yeah, occur... That means, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. That means the reduction in the amount of water. Water, yep. Yeah. Uh, using low-flush toilets is 1.6 gallons or 6 liters mandated by the 1992 Energy Policy Act. Uh, I remember people getting new toilets and being really angry because they didn't work for crap. Get it? As a, they, didn't, they didn't work for crap. Did they work for anything else, though? Yeah, that's about all they worked <laughs> for. Um, and so there was a really big market for a while there in the mid-'90s for older toilets. That had the giant tanks on it, and uh, it, it was a it was a big kind of cottage industry for a while. People wanted the better toilets. Now you can get it's still kind of a, a, a low flush toilet, but they're much more powerful. It's just the way they create them; they make them better, so yeah. you get better water pressure. And we've we've had we've had um, many water companies in the UK for a long time have been selling the kind of these inflatable pillows that go inside the system, right? And so take some of the volume up so that the toilet uses less water when it flushes. Yeah. Um, I remember my mom and dad used to put a brick, literally a yeah. brick, in, in the toilet. So it would just use less water. Yeah. Number two, showering. Uh, an average shower lasts 7.7 minutes. This is Canada and the U.S. Um, with an average flow, flow rate of 2.1 gallons per minute. So that's using quite a bit of water. Yeah, but again, this this is this is something where the people like the people like a shower with with a good pressure. Yep. Um, and you can adjust the, the well heads so if they, you have good pressure without using as much water. Right. That's exactly right. If yeah. if you have good pressure, your shower will be longer. If you've got crappy pressure, you're going to use more water because it takes longer to get the soap out of your hair or your body or whatever. Um, and I like that with. What they also put in here is, uh, for comparison, a Navy shower lasts only two minutes and can use less than three gallons of water. 
The most water frugal approach is used by the crew of the International Space Station, who uses less than one gallon of water to bathe. Yeah, but they've got to lick themselves as well. Yeah, it's, you know, it tastes terrible. Um, le- I, and baths are still pretty high up there. Um, 2.7 baths were taken uh, on average every week. I can't tell you the last time I took a bath. I mean, I always take showers, not baths. Yeah. Although I do have a bathtub that you could take a shower or a bath in. My parents, my well, my dad, uh, in their house, they still have a clawfoot bathtub. I mean, you could sink with your whole body submerged up to your neck. It was yeah. awesome. Um, here's the pie chart. Number one, toilets um, is 24%. Number two is showers at 20%. Uh, number three is faucets. So, uh, you know, that's 19%. Um, clothes washer is 17%. The next one is kind of sad. Leaks is 12%. So of all the water that's used in the U.S. and Canada, 12% is completely wasted. Well, that's 12% inside the home. Correct. You'll actually find that a much bigger percentage is lost in the network on the way yes, to the home. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But this is so, residential water use only. Yeah, what I'm talking about is actually you normally find something like 40% of all of the water that the water company sends down the pipes is lost through leakage of one yep. descri- description or another, which is kind of shocking. <laughs> it really is. Well, yeah. I think that kind of shows... In Western civilization, the decay of the infrastructure that nobody seems to ever want to pay for, but everyone complains about. Well, yeah, because it's it's cheaper to keep putting more water down there than it is to actually go and fix the leaks. Yep. Uh, 5.2% is other, which is a combination of swimming pools and dishwashers. Oh, no, dishwashers is not in there. Dishwashers separate. Yeah. point. Um, 6% is baths, and the last measurable one is dishwasher at 1.6%. So I, I just kind of find this really interesting that with Wikipedia, we can get these kind of really detailed breakdown of how water is used in a house. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, I bet some of the other is like um, uh, irrigation, swimming pools. Uh, outdoor so faucets, you, but, but then you find it's interesting because in times in times when there's a, a drought, one of the first things they do is they say, "All right, you can't water your lawn, right? You can't wash your car, you can't, you know, all the outside stuff is stopped." But you look at these stats and say, "Well, actually, if, if what you did, you made aggressive aggressive efforts to stop people flushing the toilet as many times a day, you'd make a far bigger impression on the water usage than you would stopping people watering their lawn." Well, nearly 17% of homes, it says, um, uh, irrigate their landscapes in excess of the theoretical irrigation requirements. In other words, they're watering it too much. Yeah. And if you could make it so they... And here's a here's a good tech thing. You could have little sensors in your yard that just makes your phone beep or something when it's got the right a level of irrigation or when it needs irrigation. Because people go out there and water when it doesn't need it. The problem if it is, rained last night, you don't need to go out tomorrow and, and water your freaking yard. But the, the problem is, is that is that people are stupid. Yeah, there are people. There are people in both of our countries who won't take their kids to be vaccinated because somebody somewhere in the internet has said, "Oh, you don't want to do that. That's really bad for you." 
Yeah, it doesn't matter what technology solutions you put in place. People will do whatever they think is right, and every jerk around thinks, you know, particularly when it comes to things which they feel they're experts in, like gardening or what have you, will go, "Oh, I, I know that you only get the best results if you do it this way," or, you know, actually, if you overwater a garden, it's better for it because you're you're refilling the aquifer under the lawn and all of that sort of crap. The, the problem is, is you can technology can solve some of these problems, but what you need to do is you need to take the human choice element away in order to make real savings, and that means putting infrastructure in that people can't abuse. Yeah, so it, it means having it does unfortunately it does mean having building codes that mean that build new buildings only get toilets that that contain half the amount of water. Right. And even there, I mean, you cited the example of that people got annoyed about that, and then we're going out and ripping out brand new toilets and putting in old ones because they had a bigger tank because they thought you know their their doings needed more <laughs> was a bit more sticky I don't know you know the, the problem of course with a, a, a and here again the problem with a low flush toilet is if somebody decides or or sees that it's not doing the job then they'll let it fill and they'll flush it again <laughs> you know what I mean yep Oh, yeah, I think you need to take choices away from people in order to change some of these stats. It's crazy. You know, I mean, do, do, think about this. Look at look at one of these stats here: clothes washing. Yes. Have you ever bought a, uh, a washer while and and looked at how much water it? Because you, you can get low water usage washers. Have you ever bought a washer and looked at the water consumption and used that as part of your buying decision? No. No. I haven't either. Now, I, I, certainly here in Europe, the energy efficiency of washes is very much promoted, and everyone wants to buy an A plus wash now because that uses the lowest amount of energy. But I've never seen anything about how much water they use. Hold on a second. I got to text someone. Keep talking. Okay. He's he's texting his local washer technician to find out how much water his washer uses. How much water <laughs> do I need? <clears throat> Uh, the bath thing is interesting because I think that is a very much a cultural issue. I I don't. I used to take baths as a kid. We we my house when we were growing up didn't. It, we had a shower fitted to it, but we didn't have plumbed in showers. Right. Uh, and it was an electric shower, and you know it was again it, it lacked that pressure. This is the mid eighties, so we did look, we we did a lot of baths. But as soon as I got a house with a decent Couldn't shower, in, I just never used yeah. the bath again. We replaced uh, our faucet in our living room. Or in our kitchen, yes, a faucet in the living room. That'd be <laughs> that'd be different. Weird. Yeah, what's that for? You don't know. Um, mind your own business. Uh, <laughs> uh, we've had the same faucet in there for a couple of years, and I don't remember something happened where we lost water for a couple hours, and when it came back um, over the next week or so, we were losing steadily water pressure in the kitchen. And I, I thought it was something that they maybe they had reduced water pressure to our house. Yeah. Um, it didn't really feel any different in the bath, though, in the shower. Well, I came to the, I took it apart, checked it. I thought, well, maybe you know it's clogged up or something, and it looked fine. You know, you take the the whole faucet apart, basically. Yeah. And it seemed okay, so I just kind of lived with it. But a couple weeks ago, I just got kind of sick of it, and I got the idea that you know what i think it's the faucet itself i think something's 
busted inside where I can't get to. So we just took a chance, went and bought a new faucet, and oh my god, it's so awesome. Um, yeah. The hose actually, or the uh, faucet itself, actually pulls away from the base, so you can move it around. And it's got two settings, just the regular setting, and then you put it on this one. That's I've had other ones like this before, where the the water has more pressure for rinsing stuff. This one is ridiculous. I mean, it's it's almost too much pressure. The water is half of it's like vaporized as it's coming out, and it just it blasts everything, and you get little water droplets everywhere. I'm like, this is too much pressure here now. Um, but it's amazing that when you have crappy water pressure and then you take a shower in a place that has good water pressure, you're just like, ugh, good Lord. But first world problems. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Literally the definition. That is pipe water to yeah, our house. That's, that's the definition of a first world problem. Yeah, exactly. It's like that one. What you mean? You're not you're not walking four miles to go and get dirty water in a bucket? Right. People listen. Some people listen to this going. Well, at least your water's not brown like mine. Exactly. Uh, all full of lead. Yeah. Well. Well, I'm sure there are that, probably some people in Flint li- listening. Yeah, I was going to say that's not that far from you, is it? No, it's not far at all. In fact, we had a um, let's say Friday, Tuesday. Um, I was working. Actually, I was in Detroit. I was at the new RAV4 training. Um, anyways, oh, did you get my uh, text, by the way, of the picture? Did I send that to you? No, I think so. Uh, I think I've already deleted the thing off my phone. Let me look. Uh, nope, I didn't. Let me send this to you right now. You got your cell, cell phone handy? Yeah. You'll enjoy this. Uh, I thought I sent it to you, though, to be honest. I think maybe I did, and you just don't know what I'm talking about. Um, Julie calls, or I call Julie after uh, I leave class. You, you, you didn't send me this. Yeah. Very good. Um, we were under a, the entire city was under a boil water advisory. Uh, some contractor out by the water treatment plant had cut a power line, and water pressure fell below twenty psi. And at that point, um, other bacteria and stuff can get into the water system. Uh, it was only down for like an hour and a half, so I was pretty convinced everything would be fine, but we're not going to take any chances. So we had to boil water for like a day and a half. It wasn't that big of a deal, but it was amazing how quickly all the local stores ran out of water. Everybody's going to the store to buy water. And it's little things like that that kind of wake you up and make you realize, you know what, we've, we've got it pretty good most of the time. We, In the Western world, for the most part, Flint notwithstanding, you you usually don't have to worry about the quality of your drinking water. You don't have to worry about, am I going to have electricity when I get home tonight? Is my natural gas actually still on and heating my house? Little things like that. You know, is my road going to be plowed in the snow, uh, of snow? Um, is, is Was my garbage picked up? You know, we take a lot of things for granted. We pay for this stuff. Don't get me wrong. It's not free. But I think we take for granted a little bit the the niceties that we have in our culture. Absolutely. And and the other thing is that not only do we pay for that, but we we live in a society that has made the decision to, at vast expense, install the infrastructure to allow that to happen. Yeah, but like I said earlier, we're not maintaining it to the point that we should be. No, we're not. But the thing is that 
you know what, again, that in itself is a first world problem. We still have the infrastructure. Yes. We still have pipes, electricity, gas to every house that we want it. Um, water's a double whammy because not only do we need drinking water, but sanitation, actually taking wastewater away, is hugely important because that's a massive vector. For Absolutely. And the fact that you don't have uh, human and animal waste piling up in the streets outside your house is something that, that we really, you know, we, we definitely take it for until you go somewhere where they don't have that. Well, even you look at some old pictures and you think, wow, that would have been cool in the 1840s in our downtown area. Until you actually went there and smelled yeah. it and went, holy crap, exactly. literally. Yeah, when it was full of... Uh, well, the roads are full of horse chips, if you will. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. Um, it, it was terrible. And, you know, and people would just stunk back then. Because they yeah. would take maybe a bath once a week if they were lucky. That's right, yeah. And so the B.O. was just overwhelming. Well, it's funny you say that. I, I remember watching a documentary a couple of years ago about deodorant. and Basically, that was a product that was invented. Um, and the, the way it was advertised is what came to create the social and cultural change that smelling of body odor was offensive. Yes. Before that, everybody smelled body odor, and it didn't bother anyone because everyone was the same. Yeah. It was only when deodorant was invented that all suddenly, and they had to sell it, they, had to, they created the idea that smelling of, body odor, smelling of body odor was in some way unsanitary. Yeah. Um, and and it fact, is. Well, it, it is, but actually it's not unsanitary in a dangerous way. Well, it can be because if you smell a lot of body odor from somebody, that probably means they're not washing or bathing their clothes or bodies enough, thus more susceptible well, to infections and diseases. Yes, but, and but the, the, when you say enough, I mean, it goes back to the point. In the 1800s, people were bathing once a week and they didn't have deodorant. Right. Um, it wasn't that that was killing them. There were plenty right. of other things in, in life that were killing them, but it wasn't that. Um, and plenty of people live to a ripe old age while still being ripe. You it, know what I mean? Yes. Yeah? But now you go into a store and you're in line, checkout line, and you're behind someone that clearly is wearing four-day-old clothes or they just didn't wipe their ass well. And you're you're almost angry at that person. Well, you are, yeah. You're, the thing is that's you're, just a, you're offended. You're like, what is... And you have such a disdain for this person, you don't even know. You, you're just glaring at the back of their head like, you disgusting, nasty pig. What are you doing out in public smelling like that? You, ugh, go home and just, ugh, you're just disgusting. You can't help it. Because we live in, you know, Western civilization where that kind of stuff is not acceptable. Anyways, let's wrap up this episode of Tech Fan on that high note. We'd love to get feedback from you guys. It's the show at techfanpodcast.com or simply send a comment over the Twitter to David and I. We'll read it there or read what it here. Comments will be for this episode. Yeah. I'm starting to figure out. It'll be, it'll be, you guys stink. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's probably what it would be. All right, David, I'll see you next week. See you next week. Take care.